0: Verse 13. The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor or breastplate of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Uh, this morning we're going to focus uh, primarily on the concept of prayer. Uh, but to get it in context, the, the passage here is talking about equipping us to stand firm. And uh Been sharing, we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Satan is trying to derail us and discourage us and uh, to rob us of the promises of God. Of course, as believers, he can't do that. He can't take away from us the work that God's doing in us, but he can keep us from walking in it. He can derail us from enjoying and living out the work of God in our life. And so, Paul says, after this whole letter, Explaining God's gracious work in our life and all that God has done to make us like His Son. He says, okay, now you've got to stand in these things. And if you don't stand firm, you're going to miss out on all the work that God has done. And so he encourages us to stand firm. And he talks about the armor. We've been talking about that. And then he ends with uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word, pray at all times. Uh, it's fun. Did, did you know what I was preaching on this morning, Debbie? Did you know what I was on? On. You didn't look ahead. And she, and she prayed this morning. That was just the coolest thing. Pray. See, pray. It says right there, pray. It's cool how God does that. We want to talk about prayer. Uh, we do believe in prayer. Uh, you know, statistically, uh, they do all these surveys. And, you know, really, everybody prays. Christians, Buddhists, you know, atheists. Atheists pray. Right? Everybody prays. Uh, And and statistically, people pray often, even non-Christians, non-church-going people, whatever. um, It's kind of built into us that when you get in trouble, you you cry out to the gods, whoever they might be, and you pray. So prayer is not unique to Christianity or to Christ or to believers, um, but Paul makes a big deal of prayer. And in spite of the surveys, we would say that even though most people pray and claim, you know, in, in troubled times to call out to God, the reality is that, uh, you know, who are they calling out to, and do they see answers to their prayer? they see effectiveness in prayer? Uh, and, uh, you know, there's not so many surveys on that one. Um, but God wants us as believers, and, and, and Paul instructs us, Jesus Part of his work was that we would experience something daily in prayer. And uh, while people do pray daily, what Paul really talks about here is much more than a shout out to God. You know, a quick tweet to God, help. You know. uh, it's, it's, it's something much deeper and more significant than that. see a few of you tweet, three of you. Uh, In this, in this one verse, just to give you a, kind of the, the perspective it in this one verse verse 17, Paul uses the word to pray or he actually uses two different words for pray, but he uses those words four different times in one sentence, combining it with the word all also four times to give a very emphatic statement about prayer. He says pray always all the time, uh, be persistent and persevering in prayer and pray for all the saints praying okay? So he stacks up these words. Pray, 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 pray. It's important. It's not identified actually as a piece of the armor. And there's been all kinds of discussion about that. And we're not going to worry about that too much. Uh, We'll talk about how it relates to the armor in a minute. But know this, that prayer ought to be one of the most major parts of our life as a believer. I think that's the bottom line of what Paul is saying here. If you're a believer, if you're in Christ... You have to be a person whose life is filled and overflowing with prayer. Right? Now, I not want to ask a survey. You know, I'd ask you, you know, it's tempting to say, how many of you pray You know, four hours a day? How many of you pray one hour a day? How many of you pray one minute a day? Right? Uh, how many of you pray without ceasing? He says, pray all the time. There's, there's one right there, good. Um, that's what God calls us to. Um, in my own life, through much of my spiritual journey, I've, I've known this. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not telling you anything that you go, oh, I didn't know that. Right? We all know that prayer is supposed to be a, a continual part of our life. And for my life, ever since I came to Christ when I was 14 years old, I knew that I was supposed to be praying. But for most of my, a good chunk of my, my Christian journey, I felt that I didn't understand prayer and didn't know how to pray. And I still feel that way often. Maybe you feel that way. You know, what is prayer? How does it work? And uh, I have been more and more impressed by people who I consider to be kind of my all-time spiritual heroes of the faith. People whose, autobi- whose biographies I've read. All of these people that I have the greatest respect for were deep people of prayer. People like Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, J.O. Fraser, uh, Spurgeon, George Miller, Andrew Murray, A.W. Tozer, C.S. Lewis, those were some of my top you know, list of heroes. Every one of those people had a deep and significant prayer life. They talked about it, they wrote about it, they taught it, they lived it. Uh, they were the kind of people who spent significant amounts of time in prayer, both in their prayer closet, and knew what it meant to pray without ceasing. And so I have... Decided if I don't know how to pray, I need to learn. And I've been, over the past number of years, studying people like this and, read, and reading others who teach on prayer. And I still oftentimes feel like I don't know how to pray, but I feel like I'm learning bits and pieces. So this morning I want to share with you a mountain of information that I can't. So I'm going to boil it down to a couple thoughts from this passage so I don't lose us all. It's a huge subject, but Paul gives us some little glimpses in here of what prayer is to be in our life um, so for those of you who want to learn how to pray better listen carefully for those of you who don't want to pray we'll pray for you okay um, but we're going to start actually in verse 18 and then we're going to back up a bit to verse 17 uh, in verse 18 he says pray uh the, the New Living says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Um, let me give you a more, a more literal direct translation. It's not as readable, but uh, it really shows the emphasis that Paul places here on prayer. He says, Through all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit, and watching uh, to this same thing with all perseverance... And petition concerning all the saints. Now, uh, granted that's like doesn't make sense because it's not very clear, but you get the idea. Pray, pray, pray all the time. And he has four alls, four prayers. Uh, and the first one is in the Greek is actually uh, to pray all prayers and petitions, all kinds of prayer. And uh, he uses two different words here, uh, but really. They're they're synonymous. And really what he says to start off with is prayer should involve all different kinds of the activity of communion and communication with God. And everything falls into this. Petition, intercession, request, begging, pleading, wailing and moaning, praise, thanksgiving, worship. Every conceivable kind of communication between you and God. Listening, hearing, being still, all that falls under this umbrella. So he says, first of all, every kind of prayer, okay, you do this with, you pray with every kind of imaginable prayer. So he gives a broad umbrella here. Uh, Praying about everything, praying over every decision, every situation, every problem, every challenge in your life. Praying about the good things and the bad. When things are going badly, you pray petition. When things are going well, you pray thanksgiving, right? Uh, Always, in everything, praying, praying, praying. Uh, when there's nothing going on, good or bad, and it's just neutral, what do you do? Well, you praise. You, 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 you speak to God how wonderful He is, both in who He is and what He's done. You give Him thanks for His salvation. You just continually have words and language and thoughts and the attitude of your heart, one of, of speaking and communicating with God and hearing Him speak to you. So that's where he starts. He says, every kind of prayer. Pray every kind of prayer. All kinds of prayers. And there's some great studies throughout the Psalms and other places where you can look at examples of all these different kinds of prayers. So that's the first thing. Secondly, he says, praying all the time. Praying in every season. Now, uh, for some of us, this is a, kind of a, a tough one. And it's, it's very tempting to make this say, well, pray real often. Pray regularly. Like, you know, pray daily or pray you know, as often as you think about it. But really the word and the the concept here is actually pray without ceasing. Pray constantly. At all times praying. Alright, so that means when you're awake, all day long you're praying. When you're asleep at night, somehow, it's possible to be praying. That's That's what he says here. At all seasons, all times, we ought to be in some kind of spirit or attitude of prayer. And we'll talk a little bit more later how to do that. Um... But prayer ought to be like breathing, okay? Uh, you know, breathe without ceasing doesn't mean like breathe some today and then tomorrow breathe some more, right? It means all day long, every few seconds taking a breath. And prayer really is spiritual breathing. It is soaking in uh, communication and communion with God, just as we soak in oxygen and expel it. And there's, there is to be in our life. And I, I believe Paul practices and lived it, and he commands us to be breathing in uh, words from God and exhaling out to Him our praise and worship and prayer requests and petitions all the time. And that's uh, an expectation he has for every believer. All right? This isn't something just the George Muellers and Hudson Taylors do. It's something that God calls all of us as everyday believers to practice. Okay? This isn't something just super spiritual people do, although it is something all super spiritual people do, right but it's for all of us. Thirdly, he says, with all perseverance, uh, literally it says being watchful with all perseverance. Uh, we are to pray uh, being alert. the word really means alert. It, it, it reminds us of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples right Jesus says, will you go pray with me he's right about to go to the cross. He goes off a few steps away, and he prays, and he comes back, and what's, where's the disciples? Nap time, right? My, my favorite position in prayer, you know, nap time. So often how I end up in prayer, right? And it was certainly true of the disciples. Now, the word here doesn't, uh, certainly it means, you know, we, we should be awake when we're praying sometimes. Uh, but it really goes deeper than just being physically awake. It has the idea of being alert or aware, being tuned in. And remember, the scene or the context here is a battle. He's talking here about standing firm in our spiritual battle. And uh, you you picture a person who's uh, been positioned or stationed as a guard, a night guard, supposed to guard a quarter of the camp or whatever, and uh, he's to be alert, always looking and scanning for what corner uh, an an enemy attack may come. When I was in college, I I worked on campus as a night guard, which was kind of a joke because you know, this, the school that I went to, this little Bible college, was out in the middle of nowhere. A thief would have to be seriously lost to, to find our campus, you know. And uh, there, were, there were no threats like that. Our greatest threats as night watchmen was, um, were the skunks, which you could come around a corner in the middle of the night and, you know, you had to really be alert. Okay? And, uh, of course, the other real serious threat were student pranks in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, it was a great time for students to get out and put Volkswagens in the chapel and things like that. <laughs> and um, so, so you know, we were, as night watchmen, we, and you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning, we were the only people awake. So nobody knew if you were asleep or not. And it would have been very easy to just go to our little guard shack and crash for the night. But we were to be alert and be on the lookout for, for those Students, you know, hauling the Volkswagen bug into the chapel and that kind of thing. So we're to be alert. We're to be diligent. We're to be persevering all the time and be on the lookout for attack. And that's the picture here in prayer. We're to be on the lookout for Satan's attack. We're to be on the lookout for what the, you know, what's happening in the world around us. And we're to be turning those things, those concerns, those worries, those ob- observations into prayer. Persistent, persevering in prayer. Okay, fighting the battle uh, continually without ceasing with perseverance in prayer. Okay, when things get hard, when we get discouraged, we want to give up, and we want to just go to sleep, we stay sharp and alert, uh, looking for Satan's attack. And we do that through prayer. And then... Um, Finally, he says, the last all, so all persevering, literally. Lastly, he says, for all the saints, for all the believers. So we pray not only focused on our own needs, which God calls us and invites us to do, to be praying, seeking God's help, praising Him, but also we are to be focused on, on intercession for all, all believers. Okay, certainly that starts in the closest circle to us, our family close friends, those nearest and dear to us, and and moving out to our church family, our co-workers, uh, you know, to the world. uh, To praying for believers and churches and what God is doing around the world with with the body of Christ. To be praying for one another. Uh, You know, we talk about how in church there's that group of prayer warriors who are real intercessors. Okay, and the problem is, if you have a church that has a group of ten committed people who are prayer warriors and intercessors, you have a church that's a failure. (laughs) Because he doesn't say, you know, for the ten of you who are called to this, be prayer intercessors. He says every single one of us ought to be intercessors in prayer. So this is what we all should be doing. We should be praying without ceasing. We should be praying all kinds of prayers. We should be praying with persistence and perseverance. And we should all be praying for each other all the time. Okay? So, there is no exemption to this call to ministry. Okay, This ought to be absolutely uh, core to the existence and walk of every believer. If you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Him, this is your calling. This is what God has asked you to do, to walk in and live. To be a prayer warrior, to be an intercessor, uh, to be praying people. All right? Um, so that's, that's what we're called to do. We're instructed to pray. And of course, I left out one key word that some of you may be tuned into. Uh, he says also that we're to do all this by praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. Uh, what does that mean? Well, um, he, doesn't actually, he doesn't actually explain what it means. And sometimes, you know, I can just, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a long talk with Paul. About some of his letters, because he could have been much more specific. I think, all right? He could have helped us out some. What does he mean by praying in the Spirit? Well, he doesn't explain it here, but he he does talk about it some in some of his other letters. And uh, let me just give a couple thoughts on this. And I encourage you to think about this. And uh, this may be some new concepts for you to reflect on it, think about it. Uh, you may not agree with all of this, but Um, That's okay. I'm pretty much aware of the fact that every Sunday, most people don't agree with much of what I say. That's kind of how it works, because everybody has different opinions. What counts is what God communicates to you and what you hear from Him. Let's think about this. What is praying in the Spirit? Well, I would say, one of the reasons we, we, we have a hard time with prayer, one of our great errors in praying, is that we we get too focused on prayer being words, right? That is true that prayer is our speech and our communication to God. Okay, we're supposed to bring our petitions, which means, you know, our list. God, you know, my car is broke. God, I, my, I need I have these bills to pay. Uh, I have these issues in my life, okay? And certainly prayer is words. Prayer is our communication, our petition to God. But prayer is really much more than that. And one of the problems with the, the language of prayer is that the words that, that, that we're, we use for prayer, the words that Paul used for prayer, really came not out of Christian, a Christian context, but really came out of pagan culture. So, in other words, Paul used the language that everybody used for prayer. And for everybody, prayer, you know, outside of Christianity, prayer was, was going to the temple, offers, offers, offering sacrifices to the idols. And, give, and begging the gods to be kind to you, right? And so some of the root meaning of the word has that sense or that idea to beg or plead before the gods that they'll, they'll be kind to you. But the Christian notion of what prayer is and the biblical concept of prayer really goes far beyond that. And uh, the first principle really is that prayer is, and praying in the Spirit, is much more than just words. One of the reasons, like, if you think prayer is only just words, then for us all to be praying without ceasing right at this moment would make it very difficult for me to talk because you'd all be talking, right? Either in your head or in verbally. And you know, you'd never get anything done if prayer involved you always talking to God, right? Somebody asks you a question, you go, oh, I, I can't answer right now because I'm praying. You know, Well, when you get done, tell me. Well, I'll never be done because I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. Right? Okay, that doesn't, doesn't work, right? So some obviously prayer has to include or involve more than just our conscious, active speaking to God. And certainly praying in the Spirit opens up that realm. Prayer is more than words. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 14 14 through 15 in a very different context. He's talking in this context about, about tongues and the use of tongues in the church and in public worship. But in the midst of this whole long discussion on tongues and speaking in tongues and its use and its practice in public worship, Paul says this kind of strange, off-the-track statement. He says, For if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. Well, then what shall I do? I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. Now, some commentators, because of this reference in Corinthians, think that praying in the Spirit is praying in tongues. Well, I think that that is certainly one form of praying in the Spirit, but I, I think it's wrong to limit it to that. Uh, what I want to emphasize here is that Paul says, Paul, Paul explains here that there's a kind of praying that's praying to God with conscious words that we're aware of. And there's another kind of praying that's praying uh, kind of at a deeper level. Praying in ways that go Under or beyond just words, and praying in tongues was one way that Paul practiced and experienced that. Now I know, you know, right this morning, now some people are thinking, "Oh, yeah, he's going to talk about praying in tongues, and you're going to get all excited." A whole other group of people are freaked out that we're going to talk about praying in tongues, and then at some point I'm going to ask everybody to practice it, right? And they're going to hide under their chairs. Well, don't worry about, forget the praying in tongues. You know, whatever you believe about that or practice is good. What I want to emphasize is that prayer. There is, there is something about prayer that is more than our conscious, direct words to God. That's what Paul's saying here. He says, I can pray in my spirit in things I don't even understand, right? Praying in tongues, whatever you want to call it, praying in the Spirit. There is, there is a form of communion with God that is more than my conscious, direct conversation with Him. It's a conversation, but it's a conversation at another level, all right? At a spiritual level. Alright? So prayer, uh, praying in the spirit, is it is praying with words, but is, it is often more than words. Alright? It is often something beyond just my talking. Alright? I we'll talk in a minute maybe what that could be. Second thing, second principle that Paul talks about in this context is that this praying in the Spirit is a partnership with the Holy Spirit. And of course, he talks about this in Romans chapter 8, where he says Uh, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And there's all kinds of problems with how to translate that, and uh, it's a complicated passage. But again, notice the principle here. There, there, there is a level at which we pray, and in our praying we join in partnership with the Holy Spirit, and then there are times that we don't have words to, to communicate our prayers. Uh, we don't know what to pray. We don't know what to ask. We, we don't have the words. But he says that the Holy Spirit joins with us and groans with groanings that can't be uttered because God knows the heart, right? God knows our hearts. the Spirit who sees the hearts of men looks deep into our hearts and there is a communication that happens through the Holy Spirit between our heart and God's heart that transcends uh, conscious words. Okay? Now, I know this all sounds, for some of you this may just sound really weird. To me, actually, just saying it, it sounds weird. Okay. What does this look like? I don't know all of what it looks like. But I do believe it is, it is real and it's something God calls us to. It is communing and fellowshipping with God at a level of our heart to His heart through the channel or the avenue of the Holy Spirit. So praying in the Spirit is, it is praying sometimes beyond the realm of our conscious words, and it is, uh, in this context, a partnership where we commune and communicate things with God uh, from our heart, from our soul, from the depth of our being, as our spirit bears witness with His Spirit uh, in a spirit or an attitude, a, a link of prayer. Uh, you know, we talk when we think about this thing of praying without ceasing. Uh, you, know, you try to think of good analogies, and this is probably not a great one. But I think of the internet. You know, back in the old days when you had the old dial-up thing, you know, you had to you had to dial up. Remember, some of you younger people won't remember this, but for us older people, you had to like you know, make all these little funny chirpy noises and. And finally it would tell you, you were connected, right? You were and you would log in to your account and you would be connected to the world wide web. And it was expensive back then and, and you didn't just stay connected all the time. So when you were done, you would log off. And you would break the connection and you would no longer be dialed in. Right? Well now we got ADSL and we don't have to do this. We just and we got wireless and I don't know, it just comes from space somewhere. I don't know how it happens, but we're just we're just we're just always connected, right? I open my computer up and I'm connected. Well, I, th- I think at some spiritual level, prayer is that. That God wants us to be always connected with Him, heart and soul, in a communion, you know, communion, communication, same root word, right? A communion, a communication with Him where we are uh, not necessarily consciously praying Lord God, I need your help, or whatever. We're not in a constant, conscious dialogue. But we are praying. At some level, our heart is connected, and there is an open channel, spiritually, through the Holy Spirit, working in us and with us, where we are connected all the time with God. Uh, There is this, and it's not one way, another, I didn't go into this, but it's not one way. It's not just us being connected to God, but even more importantly, it really is God being connected to us. God speaking His Word to us. God communicating His truth to us. Uh, prayer is just as much God's communication with us as it is our communication with Him. That's another place where we've kind of lost it with prayer. We don't appreciate the listening part of prayer. It is to be a dialogue. Right? Now, some of you have friends and know people you know, who... Uh, you, you, you go to their house, you, you go out for coffee or whatever, and they're just talking a mile a minute, right? And they talk and talk, and you say, hey, how you doing? And then, you know, an hour later, it's, oh, man, look at the time I got to go, and you haven't said a word, right? And boom. Well, you know, sometimes we think that's what prayer is with God. You know, we, we, we log in, and we download our 10,000 words, and then sh- we're done, and we leave, and, and God's like, whoa, buddy. Wow, that was a lot of words. Okay? And, uh, by the way, and you're gone, you're gone. God wants to speak to us, but you miss it because you're on to the next thing. Well, that's not prayer. Prayer is a dialogue where we communicate with God and He is communicating with us. He, by His Holy Spirit, is speaking things into our life and our heart. And we're tuned in enough to listen and hear what He's saying. Um so, so I would say that prayer in the spirit is this kind of my rough, very imperfect and incomplete definition. But let me put, put it out there: a prayer, prayer in the spirit is a continual communion with God through the Holy Spirit working in our heart. Okay, it is being. It is. It is not so much doing an activity as it is being in a place. Okay? It's being in a place where we are connected with God, uh, where we are really. You know, what is the place? Well, I think the place is we are in God's presence, okay? We are moment by moment, walking, living, existing being in God's presence, one with Him. He is with us, we are with Him, so that wherever we go, whatever we do, there is God consciously actively side by side with us in communion and fellowship where He can nudge us and prompt us and speak to us, and we're tuned in enough that we hear it. We are we are sensitive enough to him that and alert and diligent, so that every moment as things go on, we are offering things up to him in prayer. We are entering into each activity in a prayerful spirit. God, help me with this. God, I don't know what to say to this person. God, I'm afraid about what's going to happen. Just continually, we are we are in this this dialogue with God. Okay, we are heart to heart connected with him. Um, and that is something that is. Uh, Clearly available to us continually. Uh, it's the kind of thing that we ought to be, we you know, if, if it's working well and we're we're dialed in, we're logged in, we haven't broken the connection. That you know, we wake up in the middle of the three o'clock in the morning and God, God speaks to us. I've had that happen. You know, where uh, I'll wake up and like I'm singing some praise song. It's like, well, I don't know how I do that. I wish I did that more often, right? But that's that's the spirit of it. Or you wake up and God, you've been worried about something and God gives you the answer at 3 o'clock in the morning. He does that when we are praying without ceasing. And there's that vital connection and link between His heart and ours. And you see, that's really what prayer is. Okay, that is prayer. And I really believe that is what Paul is describing here. Now, of course, you know people can say, and it's really easy to cop out, this is kind of dangerous. Because it would be very easy to say, oh yeah, I'm just always plugged in with God. You know, and say, yeah, you know, Tim said we're, we're always connected and I'm always connected. I'm clueless of it, but I'm sure it's true. All right? Well, what Paul is encouraging here is the conscious awareness of that reality. Okay, He's talking about walking in the kind of existence where we're aware and, and taking advantage of this constant connection with God. Okay? So it, it, it includes times of specific deliberate prayer, where we are in our prayer closet, praying for all the saints and all the believers. Where we are pouring out our petitions. Where we are using words, but we never disconnect. You know, uh, maybe you could put it this way: when you pray, you never really say "Amen," right? Because like "Amen" becomes the, the turn-off switch. In Jesus' name, "Amen." Click. Phone goes down. You know, no more signal. Just don't say "Amen." Just keep the dial. Say, "God, okay, I'll be right back with you." Okay. I'm right back. Just give me one minute. i got to, I got to do something. I'll be right back. Okay. Put you on hold. We have the hold button. We're not going to hang up. Okay, that's, that's prayer. Um, prayer in the Spirit. And there's a whole lot more to it, I'm sure. Um, well, let's introduce it right there. Now, um, interestingly, he, he, he uh, challenges us to pray. And in most translations, the verse... Verse 18 very much stands on its own. But, but actually that's that's too bad because there's a very important word in the Greek that begins verse 18. Uh, the word is dia, if you're a Greek scholar. It means through. And uh, the reality is that, that this sentence doesn't stand alone. Alright? And there's an important element or part of prayer that we lose if we don't connect it with the rest of the preceding passage. Because Paul does. Literally, what he says here is this: He says, "Put on the uh, put on salvation as your helmet, and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, through prayer." Okay, literally, that's what it says. I don't know why. I don't know why translators botch this so often. I don't know because I know it's a little word. It's easy to skip little words. Part of the problem is they don't know how to translate it because there's a lot of debate. And um, you know, the question is, it's. If you want to know the grammatical of it, I'll bore you to death for a second. Dia introduces a participle clause. And the question is, I go back to verse 17 or back to verse 14? So this is stuff pre- preachers lose sleep over. You know, I have to spend all week wrestling with this great question. 14 or 17. Right? See how much easier life is because you don't have to wrestle with this problem. Um, the most logical and normal and natural connection would be with its, its immediate context. And I I would take that approach. Some people put it all the way back up to the beginning that it says stand firm through prayer. But I really think that Paul is talking here about how you take up the sword of the Spirit. I really think the connection directly is related to taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if you notice, the parallels in here, they're not coincidental. He says, speaking of the armor, he says what? Take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, it's the sword of the Spirit. And we're to pray what? In the Spirit. There's this connection here between the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, the work of the Holy Spirit operating in the Word of God, and in prayer. Okay, he says, he says, take up the sword of the Spirit through praying in the Spirit. Okay, There's a connection. There's a link here. Um, and so it's important to see that there's a connection between prayer and the Word. And So let's look at that just real briefly. Uh, he and I really believe that the reason, and you know, a lot of people wrestled with this, you know, why did he not name prayer as one of the pieces of armor? Uh, really, if I was Paul, I think it would have been much better, in all my wisdom, to say that the sword that the sword was prayer, you know, because that just sounds good to me. And then there's something very offensive, and you know, in, in many ways, prayer is our great weapon that we use to hack down the enemy, to, to behead him. And I really believe that prayer is a great weapon that we use offensively to, uh, to accomplish God's purpose. But Paul doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't even name prayer as a piece of armor. And I think the reason is because uh, the connection of prayer is really with the sword of the Spirit. Okay, The operation of the sword, our use, our, our picking up the sword of the Spirit, our taking it, our wielding it, is really in connection with with prayer, that's really what he's saying here. That's why it's so sad that so many translations miss that. I think he's saying here that the operation of God's Word in our life is made powerful and effective as we learn to wield it in prayer. So let's look at what he says. He says, first of all, he says we take up the sword of the Spirit. What exactly is the sword of the Spirit? Well, uh, it's significant that it's really not we're not really the ones who wield the sword. It actually is the, it's, it's the weapon or tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit. It is em, something that's empowered or enabled or made active by the operation of the Holy Spirit. So what we're talking about here is something really that the Holy Spirit is using in our life. And again, people kind of come up with some little crazy ideas about what this means. And we're so outward focused in this passage because it's a spiritual battle that a lot of people want to take up the Spirit as being you know, our crusade to evangelize the world. Uh, but it really doesn't fit the context here because the context is to take up the armor in order to do what? To stand firm. To stand firm, right? So he's talking about here us being strengthened and empowered to take on this onslaught of attack from the enemy. And so what he's really talking about here is the operation of the of the Spirit in our life. You see, the, the sword of the Spirit is not so much something that we use outwardly to take on the enemy, as much as what God uses in our life to prepare and equip us to stand firm. The real operation of, 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 of battle is inward, not outward. Okay? It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit taking up God's Word and using it in our life to prepare and equip us so that we can stand for the battle. Um, and so there's, this, there's this, this powerful and vital link here between the Holy Spirit, the Word, and prayer. And, and those things working together in harmony, uh, fitting us to stand before the onslaught of the evil one. And true prayer must be a, a powerful combining and learning to use these three things in conjunction. Because in Paul they very much operate together, the word, the Holy Spirit, and prayer—kind uh, of three, kind of a three-edged sword, if you will, a three-sided weapon that should be working in our life. Well, what exactly is the word? He says here, "the take up the spirit, um, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God." Now, you know, most of us for years I just assumed he meant the Bible, taking up the Bible. And you know, I remember back as a kid. Really fiery kind of evangelistic preachers talking about taking up your sword, you know, and they wave their Bible around like they're going to cut people's heads off with it, you know, and and um, you know the sword of the Lord. Well, it is true that certainly God's word is a sword, and certainly the Bible is God's word, but is that really what Paul had in mind here? Was he really thinking about, for example, the Old Testament scriptures, which would have been their Bible? What did he mean when he said the word of the Lord? Well, he uses a unique word here, uh, the Greek word rhema. And there's two, two main words for word in Greek. One is logos. In the beginning was the word, right, logos. And uh, this word, rhema. Uh, the distinctions are subtle, and, and, and you can't, don't want to make too much out of them. But, but rhema does have some unique um, c- concepts that I want to try to help you understand real quick. And we could do a whole word study that would kill you off. I don't want to do that. So let me try to do it briefly. Okay, I'll try briefly. Um, the rhema, as compared to logos, really has to do more with the specific utterances of God. Okay? So like in John 1, he talks about, in the beginning, beginning was the Word. Well, the Word kind of represents all that God spoke. Uh, it really could represent all the Word of God. But when he used the word rhema, he really has the idea of specific utterances. Okay? Uh, and in the Old Testament, it translates... You know, a Hebrew word that had the idea of God's spoken word uh, for example in promise or as a prophetic word but in the Old Testament when God gave a promise or when God gave a prophecy its promise and its fulfillment were both considered to be the word of God. Okay? You with that? The speaking of the promise and the fulfilling of the promise were both considered to be the word. So that what God said and what God did are the same thing. All right? Because the reality is with God, what He says and what He does are, are the same. If God says, I'm going to curse you, you're cursed. Okay, You're in big trouble. If God says, I'm going to bless you, you're blessed. It's a done deal. Okay. Now, for us, when we say something, we hope we can do it. Uh, or, you know, I mean, there's those people who love to just say what they're going to do. You have friends like that? Well, what I'm going to do, what we ought to do is... Which means, I'm never going to do it. But it sure would be a great idea. But with God, what He ought to do is what He does. Okay? For with God, there's no, gee, I should have done that. Okay, It is a done deal. So, Rama came to have the significance of both what God promised and its fulfillment. And you see this in Luke chapter 1, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby, you're going to be, it's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit... And Mary's going, ah, how's this going to do it? I haven't been with a man. I'm not planning to be with a man. And he says, don't worry. You're going to, it's, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And the angel says, with God, nothing is impossible. Uh, now, if you look at it in the Greek, it actually says, nothing according to God's word is impossible. In other words, the nothing there is rhema. Nothing. Okay, the, the event is not impossible with God. There is no event, no doing, that is not impossible with God. So, whether it's promise or prophetic message, and we can go through examples of it, or command or instruction, it kind of has this twofold edge of what God speaks and what He does. Uh, and it, it really would speak of God's specific promises, God's specific messages in our life, or God's specific commands. Uh, so in that sense... Uh, Relating it here to prayer, Uh, he's talking about the Holy Spirit using God's utterances in our life to speak to us—His promises, or His instructions, or His commands, or His direct messages. Okay, so the Holy Spirit uses God's word to speak to us specific things of promise to equip and strengthen us. Okay, so here's the deal: you're discouraged, you're you're filled with doubt. You're thinking God, I'm in huge trouble here and I, I don't see any way out and I don't think you care, right. You're, you know I pray, nothing happens. I talk to you, you don't listen, you know I have problems and you don't fix it, right And you get discouraged and you complain to God. you ever have those days. you complain. and God speaks a promise to you and He speaks clearly and specific to you, to you of His love, or His faithfulness, or His compassion, of His his attention to you, and you just feel God's arrow pierce you. A specific word of promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. And you know that God has spoken to you. Uh, As you read God's word, as you reflect on Scripture, uh, He ought to be speaking pointed messages to you. That's part of prayer. Part of prayer is hearing God speak those direct, specific Ramas in your life. Words that are both promise and the completion of it. If God promises it, it's done. Right? If he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, that's the Rhema of God. Um, but in this context, that would that and I think that is a valid application. But here he speaks of the rhema, the word. Did Paul have in mind one specific word? I mean, there's a lot of promises, and certainly God speaks many things to us individually. But did Paul have in mind one specific word or message? Well, a lot of commentators, a lot of people believe that the word he's talking about here is the gospel. And that would, that would fit in the context of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians is largely a book about the riches of God's grace in the gospel that God has done for us. Um, I want to read, and I don't like doing Bible machine gun, but let me do a Bible machine gun real quick, of some passages in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And I want those of you who are sharp and attentive and alert and awake to see if you can find the, the uniting word or theme in all these verses. Okay? You ready? I'm going to read these fast, so listen quick. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ one eleven. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. Uh, Ephesians two six and seven. He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. Um, he has shown us all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Anybody getting a theme yet? You guys are sharp. Two thirteen but now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, But now you have been brought near to Him by the blood of Christ. 2.14 For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people in His own body on the cross and He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. 2.17 and 18 He brought us this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away but now you are near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. Uh, 2, 19 and 20, uh, 22. Now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners; You are citizens along with all God's holy people, members of God's family. Uh, you are together uh, part of His house. We are carefully joined together in Him becoming a holy temple. Uh, we're the dwelling. Uh, we are part of His dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. Can okay, you get the picture? The nearness, unitedness, the presence of God with us. Okay, there's more. There's actually more passages. I don't read them all because we're out of time. But. Paul says through the first three chapters, this is the gospel. Jesus died not just to save your sin. Jesus died on the cross to unite you with Him. You were far away. Now you are near. You are in God's presence. Okay, I think this fits beautifully what he's trying to say here about prayer. He's saying that the work and operation of the Holy Spirit in your life is to make the word of the gospel The bringing you into oneness with Christ and making you near Him and in His presence, a constant living and active reality in your life. That's prayer, right? Prayer is being in God's presence and communion and fellowship with Him continually. Hearing Him, speaking with Him, walking with Him, uh, consciously aware and experiencing in real and tangible ways God's active living presence in our life. That was the whole point of the gospel. That's why Jesus did all this. So that you could be with God, not just in heaven, but now and today. In communion and fellowship with Him, walking with Him, empowered by Him, filled with His Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 3, that Jesus would come and make His home in your hearts. Right? See, that's prayer. That's His Word. That's the fulfillment of the Gospel in our lives. That is the working of the Holy Spirit. And these three powerful things... Are to take effect in our life, the working of the Word, the Rama, the Gospel, the the sending of Jesus, and its full purpose in our life of uniting us with Christ, activated and made possible through the operation of the Holy Spirit in us, so that we can have this continual, constant communion and fellowship of praise and worship and prayer and petition with God Almighty. Okay, that's supposed to be that's supposed to be the life of every believer. That's supposed to be how we are to live and breathe and move and have our being. As people who are just constantly in communion and fellowship with God. That's what God wants for us. Um, and that's what He's called us to in prayer. So, you know, that that is what we ought to be striving for in our life: the constant operation of the Word and the Spirit in the life of prayer. Uh, that's just a summary. It's a short overview. I feel like I'm, you know, on a tricycle with training wheels. Not even a bicycle with training wheels. A tricycle with training wheels. Learning prayer myself, right? I don't even pretend to have any of this mastered. But I, uh, you know, several years ago, I made a conscious effort to start learning and growing in this path. Um, and I think there is so much in our Christian life we are missing out on because we've made prayer a weird thing that it's not. You know, prayer is all about kind of going through our checklist of needs, dumping it on God, and going our merry way. Or we live life where we, we have our agendas and our plans and our thing we're going to do, and we tack prayer on the end so God will bless it, right? Well, I prayed, you know, God, I got this great plan. Look what I'm going to do for you. And I pray that you will bless it for your glory, right? Uh, and it doesn't work. And for too many years of my life, I lived that way. Trying to serve God in my own wisdom, doing what I thought was right, and tacking prayers on the end of it. And I was, serious, and it's not that I wasn't serious about the prayer. It wasn't I wasn't genuine in it. But I had it backwards. See, prayer ought to be really the wellspring out of which everything comes in our life. Uh, when you look at Jesus, how did Jesus do ministry? Jesus said, I never do my own work. I only do what the Father is doing. How did he know know what the Father was doing? Because every day he went away to a quiet place and he stopped and he listened and he got got marching orders for the day. He was tuned into the Father. Jesus says over and over again, I and the Father are one. Jesus knew the Father's heart and he daily lived out God's heart because he was connected to the Father. And see... He never went astray, he never took a wrong turn. He continually did exactly what God called him to. Wouldn't it be great to live life that way? To just always exactly do the right thing, right? To always be exactly in the right place. Uh, because you are walking with God. You know, God wants that for you and I. He, he he keeps calling us back, going, Where are you going? Come back. I'm over here. And, you know, we just go off on our own way. He wants us to be people of prayer. And uh, the sad thing is, when I talk to people about prayer, I get this often. I would love to pray, but I'm so busy. You know, I don't have time for it. I'll tell you what, if you're too busy, there's only one reason you're too busy. It's because you're not praying. It is because your life is so far off track, you don't even know it. And because you're so far away, and you, you, you come to God and you praise God, help. He's going out, I'd love to help. But, you know, you've got you to stop. Stop. And sit still for a minute. And come into my presence. Because you're, man, you're gone you're ballistic. Man, you're in orbit. Come back to earth. Right? And he wants us to be anchored to him in prayer. And until we get to that place, life's going to be a mess. It's just going to be a mess until we come to a place where we learn to live uh, prayer, live a prayer life. Let's pray.